Welcome to uh, another very short introduction to Talking Wild Madness, episode 46. Uh, this episode was recorded in three different parts due to uh, a, a couple of interruptions, but they were very lovely interruptions. Um, so I, it, there's there's a few breaks in the, well, there's two breaks in the middle, and uh, the conversation is, can we call it a conversation? I don't even know what we can call it a conversation. Uh, the 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 flow, uh, the vibe, whatever it is, uh, is disjointed in in three parts. Not that it's usually well connected at the best of times, anyway. But uh, yeah, th- there are there are two points in in the podcast where uh, it's like a game of hopscotch almost. So um, please enjoy uh, episode forty six of Talking Wild Madness. Thank you very much. Welcome to episode 46 of Talking Wild Madness. This is Adam. I've had an interesting day. I'm I'm trying to find a sponsor for the podcast. I'm trying to, uh, for want of a better word, I suppose, I'm trying to monetize the, uh, uh, the podcast and not monetize it in a sense. I'm trying to monetize it in a Jane Austen sense. Not, not in a uh, Howard Hughes sense. I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to be a, a capitalist savage and uh, pass go, collect two hundred dollars and and take the uh, the iron or the little shaggy terrier or the uh, or, or the Cadillac uh, around all the different colors of the board. Uh, I am trying to reasonably and responsibly monetize the podcast to get to a point where to get to a point where there is not a there's not there's not a huge part of your mental real estate devoted to to money which is an exciting which is an exciting proposition and i think australia uh, particularly modern day australia is one of the countries in the world where you really can live so incredibly well on so incredibly little. And it doesn't take very much money in order to have the idea of money or the, uh, or the, um, the responsibility of making money. It doesn't take much in order for that, that to go away, for that pressure to go away. Now, of course, if you are trying to accumulate lots of money or if you're trying to accumulate lots of lots of goods or the ability to um, to accumulate lots of services at will, then obviously that's that's, that's very, very different. Uh, there's a few doors banging and a few... Uh, the hotel is busy here at the moment. The hotel is, is very busy. But uh, there's... Yeah, once 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 you pass a very short threshold of income, you you really can devote yourself to other things other than the accumulation of more income or the generation of more income. Uh, and I think I've covered I've covered this a little bit in in other podcasts, but I think the magic number for for Australia is around about thirty five thousand dollars a year, which. I mean, if you're unemployed and you go on the dole, I think the government gives you about $15,000 a year. 
which which, which leaves you with a twenty thousand dollar a year burden, which is what's that four hundred dollars a week, less than four hundred dollars a week. So when I'm saying I'd like to monetize the podcast, I'm, I'm not talking about um, I'm not talking about getting Apple or or Microsoft as a sponsor, although I'd be very happy to pedal the next iPhone or the next, I don't even know what the equivalent of the iPhone is, the next Android for Microsoft. Um, I'm talking about peddling some underwear or peddling some uh, perfume. I don't know about perfume. Okay, that was a random selection. But yeah, look, if there's a, actually there's a sandalwood factory just up the road where, where uh, I live here in Albany. Maybe I could approach them and ask them to... Uh, to, to give a sponsorship because even a small sponsorship of uh, what if it was like a hundred dollars a week what would that be five thousand dollars a year I mean that would go that would go a long way towards that magic number of thirty five thousand and apparently if you're earning thirty five thousand you are in the top one percent of the planet of of income earners you're in the top one percent of wealthiest people in the world which is you know, which is quite remarkable, really is quite remarkable. And apparently we're, we're lifting, is it 25,000 people a day or is it 250,000 people a day out of poverty? And we've been doing that over the last uh, four or five decades, apparently. Obviously, there's a few numbers there that need to be checked. Um, but it, yeah, it is it is a frightening and comforting statistic to know that if you can earn $35,000 a year in Australia, then you are not only in the top 1% of the world, but you're also in the top 1% historically of the most well-off people that ever walked the earth. Now, if you can cover your, I suppose your biggest bill or your biggest, your biggest outlay a week is your accommodation, is your dwelling your dwelling place. Uh, I think the average rent where I am here is about $300 a week, which is $15,000 a year. Uh, and the average mortgage, I don't know, I, I'd imagine it would be something similar, maybe a little tiny bit more, but it wouldn't be that much more. And once you have that covered, then all that's really left for physical survival would be food would be bills would be a working car if you needed to get around which obviously most people do particularly in rural uh, australia or rural america or rural canada or rural mexico or rural wherever but once those once the, that outlay of, of of dwelling of of power electricity etc fuel and a car and then food we talked about food on the podcast before. I mean, you really can live as, as a single human being. You know, you can, you literally can live on $20 a week in Australia if you know how to, know how to cook, know how to bulk cook and don't mind, don't mind going without a little bit. And of course, if you go without a little bit, and I don't mean going hungry, I just mean going without, going without the uh, steak pavoir and going without the uh, linguine and clams and going without the, uh, uh, the the triple roast chicken wrapped in bacon stuffed with hazelnuts stuffed with hazelnuts thyme and uh, and linseed 
linseed oil and, and uh, you know, there, there are, are many other, there are many other food, food options, but I think people have become so sophisticated when it comes to food that there's almost an expectation that every single meal has to be a borderline gourmet experience, a borderline pornographic gourmet experience. Uh, of luxury and color and cream and and uh, and salt and spice and and produce or people the norm has shifted so far along the spectrum uh, there's so much pressure on people to eat uh, so much yeah so such an incredible array of food I, I even think the the notion of the three meals a day. I think that's an outdated, I think that's a, I think that's a con. I think that's a marketing con. I think that's a, uh, when you go into, when you go into a bar and order a Guinness, uh, if you've never ordered a Guinness or you don't know what Guinness is, it's a, it's an Irish, uh, it's an Irish stout and it's creamy. It's one of the first creamy beers that was ever mass produced. And if you go into a, a bar and order a Guinness, they'll pour the beer three quarters way up the pint glass. And then they'll stop pouring and then they'll let it sit for 30 seconds to 60 seconds, depending on how much gas is in the keg and how much gas is in the line and how old the keg is and all the rest of it. And they'll 30 to 60 seconds later, they'll, they'll top up the remaining one quarter of, of the glass. And that puts in the mind of the person ordering that this is a very special occasion, that this is something we are waiting for. That this Guinness is not like the lager or the draft or the whatever on the other taps. This is a very special, very special drink. Similarly to to champagne. Champagne, I, I think champagne is probably the most incredible marketed product in, in the history of the planet. Other than perhaps fake boobs and makeup for women, I think champagne is probably has pulled the wool over more people in the history of the planet where it has become the drink for celebration. It has become the comforting accompaniment to achievement or relief or general happiness or the reaching of milestones. And why? Because it's bubbly and it makes a popping sound when you, when you open it up. Uh, terrific. Terrific marketing. And in the same way, Guinness, Guinness does exactly the same thing with its three-quarter pour, and then you have to wait, and you have to wait for it, and you have to you watch the caramel cloudy color of that pint, that three-quarter pint, and it has to settle and turn black and, and, and uh, angelic white, and then the, the, the bar person tops it up, the bar person, the barman tops it up, for the rest and then you have to wait for it to settle again and then you get into it. I remember being at home uh, in Ireland and on very, very busy days, uh, like say New Year's Eve or uh, you know Christmas Eve or you might be at, at the pub where there's a christening on and there everyone was drinking Guinness. I don't know if that's the same now, but but back this was this would have been back in the uh, in, in the mid eighties or the early nineties, the last time I was back there. And there would literally be 20 pints, three quarters way pulled resting 
and then it would get topped up again once it was ready to go. Now, if you've ever had a Guinness that hasn't been settled three quarters of the way and then topped up one quarter of the way, it tastes exactly the same. It tastes exactly the same. And it's probably one of the last sacred cows that you can't mess with. And if you if you go into a bar, if you go into an Irish pub now, and if you order a Guinness, and if you say to the person behind the bar, just pour it straight up. I don't need to, I don't, I don't want to wait for it. Just pour it straight up. You will actually get a physical recoil from that person. You will actually, the, the marketing is so intensely entrenched in both the consumer and the purveyor of the drink. The ceremony of the poor is so, it's, it's saturated into everybody that you will actually get a physical reaction if you say to that person, skip the ceremony, just pour it all the way up to the top and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll take it away as it settles and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, sit at, I'll sit at the table that I'm sitting at and I'll, I'll wait for it to settle. I don't have to hang around here and, and, and wait for this charade of activity. I'm already on board. I already love it. It's gorgeous. It's creamy. It kind of tastes halfway like alcohol and ice cream. But I don't need to wait for this marketing uh, a charade. Just give it to me as it is. Uh, people lose their mind. People lose their minds. Uh, and if you try and tell that to someone who drinks Guinness regularly, they'll actually get upset. They'll get offended. And they'll say things like, you are a... Uh, you're a pig, you're a savage, you're a glutton. You know nothing about the good things in life. You know nothing about Guinness. And the, the trademark of Guinness, obviously I'm not going to be going for a uh, sponsorship from, 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 from Guinness after this, after this episode. Or maybe I will. Maybe they'll be going for the anti-marketing marketing, marketing uh, market campaign, in which case obviously I welcome it. Uh, and I'd be happy to get paid in Guinness and I'd be happy to wait for it to settle uh, as well if that was a condition of, of, of the payment. But it is, very, it is very interesting what is deemed to be very important, what is deemed to be uh, sacred and even sacred in a secular sense. And I think waiting for a Guinness to pour is, uh, is secularly sacred if secularly is, is a correct word. Uh, and it, yeah, it's, very, it's, it's interesting what comforts people. And I pr there's probably a sense of sophistication that someone has once they believe that the ritual that they are following is true. So for someone to side up to the bar and, and, and know that a Guinness has to settle for a minute you know, there, there is a sense of being an insider with that information. And if you've ever been in a bar where someone has ordered a Guinness for the first time, or if someone has been on, uh, like, say, a first date, and they're ordering a Guinness for someone else who drinks Guinness, and they didn't know, they've never ordered a Guinness before, and they order a drink for themselves, and they order a Guinness for their, for their, um, for their insignificant other, maybe their significant other one day. Uh, you can see the, you can almost see an emperor's new clothes situation come over their eyes where 
they might order a glass of wine and a pint of Guinness. The bar person will pour the glass of wine, give it over to the person ordering, and then they will say, your Guinness will be ready soon. And that person doesn't really know what to do if they haven't been uh, indoctrinated, if they haven't been blooded into the reality of of Guinness and, and the marketing campaign behind it. And that person will come back to the table with their glass of wine and they'll say, uh, I'm not really sure what's happening. I think this Guinness is coming, but I'm not really sure. Uh, and and they're literally, it, they're, it's an element of the small child pointing at the naked emperor riding the horse saying, uh, that guy's not wearing any clothes. That guy's wearing nothing. And I, I'm guilty myself of marketing, and I don't even that that phrase "guilty of marketing." Uh, I, I was just watching a interview with Marlon Brando from I don't know the nineties. Uh, he looked like he looked like a very big boy, um, not as big as at his biggest, but he he looked yeah. I think it must have been the nineties, and he was being interviewed by a uh, American TV. Uh, journalist, uh, Asian woman, and he was talking about acting and, and how everybody acts and how everybody is selling themselves at all times, ultimately. Uh, and that acting is, is a, a, acting is, is not something that uh, is elusive or uh, ethereal. I don't know if ethereal is the right word, but this idea that he was an expert uh, or he knew secrets of acting that other people weren't privy to. And he was talking about uh, that we are all are actors. We are all performers and we all get through the day. And some of us get through the day more successfully than others uh, based on our ability to, to act, based on our ability not to be honest, not to point to the emperor, the naked emperor, or not to reveal ourselves to be naked. And there's this, this sense of a agreed to pantomime that everybody participates in together. Uh, it was very, yeah, it was very, very, uh, very interesting. Uh, and the, the reason was, I don't well, actually, I don't know if there was a reason why I was talking about the Marlon Brando interview. I, I guess I've been watching a lot of actor interviews and a lot of director interviews lately in preparation for the film shoot later on in the year, which I'm really excited about. And I'm, I'm very, uh, yeah, I have to say it's quite thrilling to know that, look, this is just another thing that we're going to be doing this year is to, is to make a, make a film. Um, and it's something I should have been doing a long time ago. It's something I should have been doing every year. I should have made a, I think I've also decided not to apply for the government funding that I was talking about in, in one of the previous podcasts. I think if everyone is happy to take a share and just and, and, and do it, I think I'm just going to do that. And rather than waste days and days of, of, uh, of time filling in forms, I'm just going to channel that same energy into writing a good, good screenplay and, uh, and then planning how to, how to film it, uh, you know, and it's only, a th it's only four or five weeks of everybody's lives, but there's going to be a film at the end of it. Uh, I, I think that's going to be, 
I think that's going to be more exciting. And it, there's also a part of me that is happy not to have, and this sounds a little bit hippie-ish, this sounds a little bit, uh, this, this sounds a little bit counter-culture-ish, but I'm, I'm happy not to have the government involved at all in, uh, in this process. And I'm happy not to open the door to invite the government into that process. Happy just to, just to, just to do it. Uh, I think that's, yeah, there's just a sense of, there's a sense of freedom there to, to, to not, to not invite the, the government and then not invite a whole lot of, uh, of rules and obligations. We're just going to make a film and we're going to treat it not as a grand thing. We're just going to make a film. We're just going to literally just make a film. Uh, will it be incredible? Hopefully. Will it actually be? Maybe. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be awful. Um, but I would rather this year pass having made an awful film than have than having made no film at all. Uh, so with that spirit, uh, yeah, that with that spirit, I, I, I'd, I'd be going, I'd be going forward, going forward with that. Um, now I've just bought a hundred books off my publisher for Bird. Uh, for people who 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 are not sure how the how well I won't say how the publishing industry but how the publishing industry that I'm involved in works if you have a book that sells for say twenty three dollars uh, every time that book sells the publisher takes ten dollars and the bookstore takes another ten dollars and it leaves the author with two or three dollars. So I have just placed an order with my publisher. I'm in, I'm on the south coast of Western Australia in a small town called Albany. And my publisher is in New South Wales, which is in the, on the opposite side of the country in a town. Oh, where are they? I think they're just out of Sydney. Oh, is it Newcastle? No, I don't think it's Newcastle, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's the equivalent of probably, I don't know, New York to Los Angeles. Like it's three and a half thousand miles away or three and a half thousand kilometers away. It, it's basically another, another planet away. So I've ordered a hundred books to get shipped over this week. And I suppose, I suppose we're talking about marketing. I suppose we're talking about um, pulling that pint of Guinness. We're talking about popping the champagne cork. So I am now taking on the responsibility of moving units of the book. I, I've now become a salesman, I suppose. And I, and I don't mean that in a shameful sense. Uh, I just mean that that is now, that's the role that I'm now in. I, I have written the book. I submitted the book until it got published. And now I have to sell, now I have to sell the book. Now I have to, now I have to distribute the book or I have to play my part in distributing the book. The, the publisher that I'm with is Puncher and Watman. And if, if that name sounds familiar, there's a quote from a, it, it, the, the name comes from a quote from a Samuel Beckett play, uh, Waiting for Godot. And one of the characters mentions Puncher and Watman in, in, in the play. Um, they're a terrific publisher, but they're a small publisher. So they haven't got a, a, an army of, of people to, uh, to push and pedal the, uh, the the books that they publish so it becomes 
is the word incumbent. It becomes incumbent on the on the author to help with the with the promotion of the book, which is absolutely fine. One of my favorite authors is James Elroy, who is the what is he? He's like an American crime writer. And he wrote this incredible book called The Black Dahlia. And years ago, I watched a documentary about James Elroy. And he basically said the same thing. He had to pay for his own publicity tour. He had to pay for his, he had to put his hand in his pocket and he had to promote his book. And if you've ever seen James Elroy, he's a very, uh, I would say, peculiar looking man. He, he has a, a bald head. He has uh, like, what I would describe as rimless Nazi uh, glasses uh, with with wire wire frames. Yeah, oh, well, sorry, rimless frames, no frames, and and wire arms, and uh, he and he has like uh, these duck lips, uh, and and his head is completely bald. Yeah, he looks like an, an insane uh, scientist doing very weird and unethical ex- experiments. And one of his first books was, uh, was The Black Dahlia. Maybe that was his first book. And if you haven't read The Black Dahlia, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, like a genre fiction reader at all. So I, I don't read a hell of a lot of, of crime fiction. But I picked up The Black Dahlia uh, from the library maybe 10 years ago, maybe even, maybe even more than 10 years ago. And I didn't know who James Elroy was. And the book looked like it, it was an old book. It looked like it was printed, you know, in, in, the, in the 60s or the 70s. Like it looked old. And the picture on the back had, uh, I remember the whole book was purple. And there was a picture in the front of the, of the cover. And that was very dark. And it was a picture of a woman who looked like she was either asleep or looked like she was dead. And this was obviously the, the Black Dahlia. And on the back was this peculiar photo of James Elroy. And there he was. And he was dressed, he had a suit jacket on. He, he, had, he was completely bald. He had his insane, rimless, Nazi scientist circular uh, spectacles on. And he had uh, a bow tie with a tight button-up shirt. And he looked like, he literally looked like something out of the 30s or the 40s. And I didn't, as I didn't know who he was, I thought I was reading a book that was written 50, 60 years ago. And of course, I since found out that, no, this guy's very much alive. This guy was, this guy came to fame in the 80s or 1980s, 1990s. And that Black Dahlia was one of, uh, it really is, it's like without going, without getting too crazy on James Elroy, it really is a, a, it's a masterpiece. I, I really think it's, it, it's, it's the writing in it is very, very good. It's so damn good. Um, but he had to put his hand in his pocket and he had to market himself. He had to pour the Guinness of his own reality three quarters way and he had to wait for 30 to 60 seconds and then he had to, then he had to top it up. Uh, and he did a fucking damn good job, I have to say. Um, I haven't read too many more of his books. The film L.A. Confidential was uh, based on on his book, uh, I think, of the same name, and he he had he had I, I, the only other book of his that I read 
was called My Dark Places, which was uh, an autobiography of his childhood. And one of the most disturbing, I mean, it, it almost it almost trots into Edgar Allan Poe territory. One of the most disturbing parts of his childhood was that he had a uh, he had an argument with his mother when he was eight years old or nine years old, and from memory he prayed he either prayed to God or he prayed to Satan to kill his mother to have his mother killed. And the next week, his mother was murdered. Uh, and this is something that this poor bastard has had to carry around with him for for the rest of his or the rest of his life. Uh, but it made it made him one hell of an author, whether he was carrying it around um, well or whether he was carrying it around not. And whatever value you give on being a good author. Uh, yeah, an absolutely, absolutely terrifying setup for for uh, for life. Um, but black the black dahlia, a well, yeah, I recommend it. If if I can't find a sponsorship, I was actually thinking of of doing free sponsorships for the podcast, uh, doing sponsorships for either books that I I've read and enjoyed, or I was thinking maybe of doing free sponsorships for the homeless swag company uh, who are in Melbourne that we, I think we talked about that in, in a couple of podcasts ago uh, where you can buy a, a backpack swag for a homeless person for I think about $150. And uh, yeah, they're able to weighs three kilos. They're able to walk around with it during the day and they can just roll it out, roll it out at night and, and restore a little bit of dignity, have a bit of safety, have a bit of warmth and comfort and uh, make that, rough rough journey make that rough trot a little bit less less in, less insane so we'll see how we go we'll see how we go with the sponsorship uh, obviously if, if there's anybody out there that would like to sponsor the podcast and it doesn't have to be for a hundred dollars a week it literally can be for a dollar a week it would just be nice to it would be nice to do something for It'd be just nice to, to participate in that in that reality. So maybe starting from the next podcast, I might yeah. Let's why don't we do that? Why don't we do until we get a paid sponsorship? Let's do free charity sponsorships. So instead, actually, okay, here we go. So instead of asking for people to uh, contact if they want to sponsor the podcast, which of course you're more than welcome to, if you have a good charity uh, organization or a good um, anything that that's worthwhile maybe you've put it together a festival that you'd like to to advertise maybe you have i don't know maybe you have online yoga classes that you would like to promote for people uh, with with back injuries or you know yoga for the elderly online or whatever it happens to be um, get in touch and until we get a paid sponsorship I, I think that might be a nice thing to do is to do, um, yeah, is to, is to do some, some free, some free sponsors. It would be interesting if we started doing free sponsors for companies who are doing good things. And then we got asked to stop by, by those companies. I don't think that'll happen though, but it would be, it'd be an interesting, um, interesting way to, 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 to go about it anyway. So we'll see how we go.
the f- film is it's getting quite exciting, uh, Edward and Isabella, which is which is the working title, and I think it will be the title of the of the film. And uh, I, I mentioned in an earlier podcast that I uh, had asked uh, Frank uh, Rizovec, who's who's going to be the cinematographer for Edward and Isabella, and he's a, a, a student of a film. Uh, and I asked him to put a few of his favorite foreign films because he, the, the man watches more, uh, foreign films than mainstream films. And I asked him how many he watches. And he said he usually watches one, one film every night, a different film. And you can imagine what that would do to a person's mind sitting down to watch two hours of the best of uh, the artistic expression of, of, a, of a foreign country. It'd be similar, I'd imagine, to cooking a different meal from a different part of the world. On, on Monday, having a Cuban dish, and then on Tuesday, having a Spanish dish, and then an Ethiopian something or other on Wednesday, and so on. So Frank, is, he has a very nice setup at home. He, he has a a very large screen and a very uh, a very impressive looking sound system, and he has positioned himself in this beautiful spot where I can only imagine what the experience would be like. And he has just given me a, a list of five films that I I have to pick them up today. Uh, it's four four in the morning at the moment. I have to pick these up later on today, uh, and he's. The list is the film, he's put five on there, Burning by Lee Chang Dong, which I can only imagine is, uh, is, a, is an Asian filmmaker, probably from China, but uh, yeah, my Mandarin is a bit sketchy, so could be from, from anywhere in, uh, in Southeast Asia. We'll find out. We'll do a bit of research. Second one is Funny Games by Michael Haneke. Uh, might be Dutch film, perhaps. Lil Quin Quin by Bruno Dumont. So, hmm, could be French. Lorna Silence by the Dardenne brothers. They could be French too, couldn't they? And the last one is Nostro Tiempo. Nostro Tiempo by Carlos Regadas. So, I'm assuming... In my folksy racism, I'm assuming that is Mexican or Argentinian, or we'll just say South American, and then we'll, and then we will, uh, we'll figure it out from there. And then he's also said another time I can give you some work by Claire Dennis, uh, Beau Travail, White Material. So that might be are they two separate films by Claire Dennis? That'd be interesting. I think that might be the only woman on there that he's put i love uh sophia coppola's movies uh well i say movies i've only watched one of her films the one with uh, lost in translation such an incredible film that's pretty rare <clears throat> that's pretty rare that a great filmmaker would have a great father who's also a great filmmaker Although I suppose it's the same. If your dad's a tow truck driver, the chances of you being a tow truck driver are pretty pretty good as well. If your father's a surgeon, chances are you're going to be doing something 
you're going to be doing something in the medical field, whether you like it or not, at the very least a janitor in, in the hospital. And, and then he's got and Anders Thomas Jensen, Adam's Apples, The Green Butchers. And then he's, he's added uh, and innumerable others. So, yeah, I have my work cut out. I think I'm going to, uh, I think I'm going to watch Burning Tonight by Li Changdong. We'll see what that is. Uh, we'll see what that's like. Um, I was in a Chinese restaurant uh, in in Perth while while I was up there playing. When was that? It was it wasn't long ago. Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and uh, the the proprietor of the Chinese restaurant said that people weren't coming into the Chinese restaurant as much as they were, and they've lost 50% of their trade. And then I heard apparently sales of Corona beer has gone down because people psychologically make the connection that terrible watery shitty beer from Mexico with a similar name to an Asian virus are somehow connected. So people have stopped drinking Corona you imagine how it is that we've actually managed to get as far as we have with the levels of intelligence that we sometimes display. It, it really is a, a, a miracle. It's almost, it's almost enough to believe in God that we as, as humans have, have managed to get this far. We've managed to invent things like shoes and shoelaces and socks with, with, with the with the possible brainwave functions and activity that we are capable of or that we are happy to exist uh, vibrating with it, it is really unbelievable that we're all not just walking off cliffs naked and I suppose to some degree uh, quite a few of us are but it, it really yeah like the miracle of forget the miracle of email or forget the miracle of electricity or what about just the miracle of a tweed jacket like if you were given all the materials if i was given all the materials including the machinery on which to create a tweed jacket if i was locked in a cement room and in the corner was a was a sewing machine with a nice foot pedal and a a nice bobbin rack all filled with threads and and in the, and, and then there was a basket of wool and there was some uh, some leather and, and some scissors and some and, and some uh, nice uh, felt and uh, and there was different shades of wool and someone said to me you're not coming out of this room until you're wearing a tweed jacket that you have made I think the reality is that I would die in that room Tweedless, frantic. I think I might have a better, I might have a better chance of inventing fire in that room than I would have of actually putting together a tweed jacket. So there, are, yeah, there are, these are things to consider. The 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 way human beings somehow manage to be so incredibly daft and so incredibly brilliant at the same time.